Hello everybody, how's it going? Ben Gothard here with another Project Deck interview. And today we are talking to Aubrey Logan from New York. How you doing today, Aubrey? I'm doing great. How's everybody out there? Hopefully they're doing fantastic, man. So let us begin uh, with my first question, which is, what is your story? Well, my story is uh, it's one with uh, many twists and turns, some, some better than others. Uh, started my first company when I was 19. Company called Total Control Entertainment when I was still still residing in upstate New York. Uh, I started out as an entertainment promoter, and uh, I had a car accident and had to shut the company down. Uh, so then, with the proceeds I received, I decided to move to Atlanta. And uh, you know, I, I grew up in a household where my mother my mother has two business degrees. My mother, you know, she worked very hard. My mother and father they were they were together for a little while when I was growing up, but they didn't uh, you know go long term, get married or anything like that. My father he um, he was an heir to an oil and land fortune in, in uh, Kaplan, Louisiana, which I inherited last year. And, um, you know, it was passed down to him two or three. It was passed down two or three times and it was finally passed down to my father. So uh, I guess for whatever reason, my parents, they just didn't get along. They butted heads or whatever. My mother had her set of ideas. My father had his set of ideas. But the good thing is from my mother, I get my analytical uh, mindset. And uh, from my father, I get my uh my ability to be able to uh, to shelter my asset classes. I do it in a better way. My father, he, he did it kind of backwards. I do it in a really professional way and everything like that. Um, and that's one thing that uh, a lot of entrepreneurs out there are lacking is just having their, their legal affairs in order out the gate. Um, so, yeah, my story is one of twists and turns. Um, you know, at one point, you know, my mother worked really hard. We had a, a pretty decent house out in the suburbs. And then, you know, we, you know she had to quit because of stress. And then uh, we went back to an inner city situation. Uh, but the good thing is, you know, learning, understanding how to live on both spectrums, it uh, made me the man that I am today. And, you know, we had some we had some uh, some some harsh times after she quit the post office. But uh, the thing is, my intent was always to be in control of my own destiny. And I work, I started working towards that when I was 19. Uh, now I have a business empire that comprises four different industries. Um, Morgan Holdings is a company that I have. Uh, actually, I, read, I was reading a book called The Clamorgans, and it talks about the, the people that controlled the commerce in the 1700s in the state of Louisiana. And by uh, by ethnicity, I'm a Creole on paper, but actually I, my roots go back. They fall in line more with the Clamorgan people. That's why I named my company Clamorgan Holdings. And it's a company that I own with one with one of my sisters and my mother because I felt like, the, you know, there definitely needs to be another I need to be the, the catalyst for this next generation in both sides on my mother's side of my family and on my father's side um, and under Clamorgan Holdings we have two two subsidiaries there Clamorgan Property Management which the, the property that I inherited is owned by Clamorgan Property Management and we're looking to do some multifamily deals and then we have Richard Simone Sports and Entertainment Management and we have uh, MC David J Chef Elgin and uh, DJ Shock Dog uh, he's a DJ out of uh, Spartansburg South Carolina they're all under contract to us um, then I'm most known in the business world for a nutritional supplement brand. I started called Eliakami. Got into a bad car accident two years ago. My former partners, they shuttered the company behind my back. So I set up a new company, holding company last year called uh, uh, Elite Family of Brands. And uh, I'll tell any entrepreneurs out there, I had to set up an art deal with my former partners that uh, if the company was to fall apart, all the intellectual property would revert back to me. If you don't have intellectual, you don't, if you don't have intellectual property, if you don't have IP rights, you have nothing. You have the best product in the world, but the some of the biggest, some of your key things is your team, your legal affairs, and your intellectual property. You can have the greatest project, product, or service, or whatever, but you, if you don't have a 
protected the proper way. You'd be like uh, Famous Amos, one of these guys who can't even use their own brand name anymore because they've been rustled, it's been wrestled away from them. Um, and then I uh, started another company last year because I always had people that were older than me and more experienced than me in business. They would come to me and say, you know, how'd you do this? How'd you do that? And how can you make this happen so fast? So I set up a consulting company called Anry Media Group. Spell that E-N-R-Y. It's one of my middle names, Anry Media Group. And uh, then another company I started last year, Blue Dream Industries. That's my first segue into the cannabis industry. And we make ancillary products. We'll probably grow and uh, we have a plan to do some edibles and stuff in the future. But we're leading with cutting edge technology as far as ancillary product goes. So that kind of brings you from my, my youth to where I'm at now as a 33-year-old businessman. So, you know, I want to I want to dive a little bit deeper into your history. So, you know, what what sort of uh, childhood did you have uh, as far as entrepreneurship goes? I mean, were you exposed to it at a young age? Um, how did how did you really get introduced to the whole world of entrepreneurship? Oh, yes, I was introduced to it at an early age. My brother, Michael, one, um, one of my uh, well, all my brothers, my two brothers, my two brothers are on my dad's side. So, uh my father always said to us, even if you guys work for somebody else, always have your own enterprise on the side. My brother, Michael, he was working at this like this, uh, this home where they took care of elderly people. And he was saving his money up because he wanted to start a page store. He wanted to start a, a cell phone page store. This was in I was about 12 years old. This was like 1994, 95, something like that. And this is in my hometown. My brother started. His, he, he saved up his own money. Um, when it started Mobile Jam's Pager and Cell Phone Store, and I was one of his first employees. He gave me a job under the table, and uh, that was cool because I got a chance to work for you know my, my brother, and he taught me a lot about business, and um, got a chance to see how sales work and everything, the inside. I'm sitting there putting orders in, you know, sending, you know, uh, billing out and stuff at 12 years old. You know, all my friends were like, "Oh, you don't want to come and play?" And my brother said to me, he said, "Hey, listen." I can give you five dollars an hour for doing this, or you can be outside and play with your friends. And I said, I'll forgo the social life. I'll go work for my brother, you know. And um, that was my first experience with entrepreneurship. And you know, my mother, my mother would always put in proposals, and she had a, a pretty good business plan. She wanted to start a, a nightclub and like a, a party house in my hometown, but it just it, it never went through. And uh, I got a chance to see the paperwork side of what a business plan, what a proposal. What all that kind of stuff needs to look like, an investor's agreement, a deal contract. I got a chance to see what all that stuff looks like when I was like 12 or 13 years old. And then working for my brother, I got a chance to see exactly how a business operates and uh, cash flow, you know, in and out of register, billing, uh, everything, that whole aspect, you know, paying people out to come clean up and all that kind of stuff. So just seeing the whole aspect of how an enterprise should run. I got a chance to see all that when I was like 12 and 13 years old. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, you know, for, for a lot of people, uh, a, a huge predictor of their success is how early they start. Uh, and so, you know, for, for a majority of people, they don't get exposed to entrepreneurship and they don't find it until later down the road. So, you know, for more of the, of the younger, newer potential entrepreneurs, what sort of actionable tips can you give them in order to expose themselves more to entrepreneurship and, and really get in on, on business early on? The, the best actionable tips I could give them would be to definitely tune into shows like Shark Tank, pay attention, get familiar with the terms um, like 409A valuations and things like that. If you get familiar with terms like that, basically a 409A valuation is if you have an incorporation, a C-corp, 
and then you have uh you have co-founder co-founders with you and so you have you get bring investors on a 409a valuation is a, is a document where it's similar to an operating agreement if you have an llc um it just shows the ownership group new you know uh what money's been invested in the company you know new funding rounds stuff like that so uh watch shows like shark tank um also go to your local library and read as many books on set up setting up LLCs and stuff like that as you possibly can. Um, and then also start getting involved with your local chamber of commerce. Uh, chamber. I read a book one time and it was telling me that uh, all, pretty much all your wealthy people out there, they have three things. They have their own business, real estate, and then they usually have some publicly traded stock. But one of the biggest boom, now, now those are just, you know, far as holdings, but as far as mentorship, a lot of them go to their, their are very well connected and they're parts, they're, they're members of their local chamber of commerce. So those will be my top things right there. Definitely get educated from the, the standpoint of reading books about it, but you can read till you're blue in the face. When you actually are out at, say, like a chamber of commerce or when you're watching Shark Tank and you're seeing people going on there, pitching their ideas and they're talking about their numbers and their revenue and their expected projections and all and their, their revenue run rates. You want to get familiar with all of those terms. You want to get familiar with cap rates and all these different terms because it will save you a lot of, uh, a, a lot of, a lot of grief and a lot of um, headache down the line because you want to be professional as possible, especially if you're looking to support, say, angels or um, angel investors or venture capitalists. You want to always be up to date and you know and, and know what you're what you're talking about in advance when you're going to deal with people that want to put money in your venture. So I would definitely say, uh, read up and then get in the game. You know, don't don't uh, be a victim of analysis paralysis. Read, get the information, and go out there and connect with people in your city or your county uh, or your state, and connect to some of the people that are actually out there doing these things you aspire to do. No different than if you want to be a singer or whatever. Uh, follow people like Gary Vernacek or people like Damon John on uh, on social media. Get familiar with these people uh, and and go from there. Absolutely, I think those are those are great actionable tips. So, you know, you talked about how reading is important uh, and and educating ourselves as entrepreneurs is extremely important. Um, well, can you point to some specific resources uh, that that we as entrepreneurs have available to us, uh, maybe including books, but also in addition to books, what other uh, sources of learning that we have? Oh, sure, sure. Um, you have, in most cities, you have like a, like here in Atlanta, we have Invest Atlanta. And I think there's, I can't remember the name of the one in Miami, but Invest Atlanta is a, is a, comp- is a, is a, a company, I mean, not a company, but a community uh database where you can actually go and, and meet with them at their office and stuff like that. But with them, they have different incentives where say if you start a business and it's headquartered inside the city of Atlanta city limits, you get for every two or three jobs you create, you get like a $3,500 tax credit. Uh, so get familiar with, with programs like that, the urban league, uh, Kiva for micro lending. A lot of people kind of sleep on Kiva, but that's a very good source. Um, the lady who started Cooley Cooley, uh, um, the Cooley Cooley um, Moringa brand, she got an early uh, investment from Kiva. So get familiar with things that are in your neighborhood, like I was saying, like Chamber of Commerce or like um, say if they have an angel investors database, like here in uh, Atlanta and Gwinnett County at the Gwinnett Chamber of Commerce, they have the uh, Atlanta, the, the Gwinnett Angels. 
Uh, it's a big database of angel investors. Um, get familiar, yeah, get, definitely get familiar with stuff like that. Go to your your town hall and a uh, city hall and see what other programs they have available because there's literally millions of dollars that are out there and people just don't know. There are community revitalization uh, boards and stuff like that. And in most states, you know, everybody thinks that all the VC money is in Silicon Valley, but there's a lot of, like in Denver, there's a lot of, and even in certain, there's one city in Utah, they have a lot of uh, VC money floating around. So get familiar, do some, um, do some research on who the biggest VCs are in your state and get familiar with their offices are and, you know, and get your pitch deck ready and stuff like that. So just really look at what's available in your county, in your city, far as programs that you can get money from to, to start your business because they're out there. A lot of people just don't know that. It's just like um, building business credit. A lot of entrepreneurs, I was talking to a guy the other day and he's just like, well, I'm using my own personal credit cards and my own money out of my own bank to fund my business. And I'm like, whoa, you don't have a business bank account? You don't have, you don't have any business credit cards? So getting vendor credit, starting out with companies like Quill or Uline, uh, and once you get five payment experiences, then you can move to the next level. Basically, you can get to the point where you don't have to uh, be a personal guarantor for anything in your business. I, I've been through that, where I've been a personal guarantor for uh, American Express and a Capital One card, Capital One card before. Then the business fell apart, and then you know uh, partners were nowhere to be found, telling me they paid back the investor. And I'm like, that's insane because I had the investor contract right in front of me. He asked for points on future products we come out with the actual uh, royalties on future products so um that kind of left me in a bind because you know i was personally attached to it so definitely look at programs that are like that are similar to like urban league or uh invest atlanta in your neighborhood and then also look to build a business credit profile that's separate from your own so in that way you can finance your business without uh the threat of if this stuff falls apart, it comes back on you because if the business entity falls apart and everything's in the business name, then you're cool. You have nothing to worry about. But definitely look at programs and incentives in your local area that you can benefit from. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, I think one of the biggest takeaways is that the money's out there, the information is out there, but it is up to us as entrepreneurs to go out and find it, right? We can't be reactive and just hope that the right information at the right time is going to just, you know, show up in our mailbox or our inbox as an, as an email, right? It's just not going to happen. We have to go out and we have to be aggressive about learning and, and growing and developing. And, and you know, I, I just think that's really important and a lot of people don't have that mentality and I think they should. So, anyways, I want to talk a little bit about um, how you started your first company at 19 years old. Um, can you talk a little bit about the actionable steps that you took to get that started and, and get it running and, and maybe just take us through uh, that time period. Sure. Uh, my first step was to figure out why I even wanted to start this company. And then when I looked at my whys, I said, okay, this, this was what name, what, what, because naming your company is very important. What kind of name am I going to put? Am I going to put together? And at that time, I owned that company 100. percent I was gonna, you know, I didn't have any preset. I didn't have anybody in the in, in around that was going to be a partner. None of my friends at the time really had a business mindset. Uh, and my thing was, I just wanted to to be free in life and uh, and, and do what my father told me. You know, just, just have my own thing. You know, and 
So looked up the name in the New York State database. The name wasn't taken. So the next thing was to go get my articles of organization through the state. And it was a little bit different. It was 2003. You know, most states you can do your stuff all online now. It was a bunch of paperwork, just very antiquated stuff. But I um, got that filed. And once that came back, went to, I think it was MNT Bank and set up a business bank account. And um, I just basically, I just did the basic research, see if the name was taken or not, ask myself why. And I went from there. I didn't even question if I needed a permit or anything like that. I'm like, oh, promoter, I don't think I need a permit. And I just basically started partnering up with local places. And after that, I seen with local like nightclubs and venues and stuff like that because I was doing uh, like uh, teen parties and I was doing uh, like uh, you know things to help uh, like musicians from upstate New York to get exposure and uh, like showcases and stuff like that. My goal was to expand into. There's a guy from my hometown named Roy Eagle that I really respect. He's a boxing promoter. He made his money in real estate. And, um, you know, he's actually, you know, put a lot of the local fighters in my hometown kind of on the map. And my goal was to do stuff like that. But, you know, somebody uh, made sure that that didn't happen because they, they met me at the turning in the turning lane and uh, slammed into me and, you know, made sure that didn't happen. But, um, you know, up to that point. Everything was cool. You know, uh, as a young guy, 19 years old, I was doing pretty good, doing like $40,000, $45,000 a year in revenue. Um, that was like in a, in a two-year time span because I went, I went in with the right intent and, like I said, got my paperwork, didn't do analysis paralysis, and went off from there and started forming partnerships and, and just made a move. So, you know, what exactly did your company do? I know you're talking about, you know, putting people on the map and, and, you know, doing parties, but what was your, what was your core competency as a company and how did you differentiate yourself from the competition? We differentiated ourselves because we worked with promoters and radio stations, other promoters and radio stations and stuff like that through the whole Western New York area, Syracuse, Watertown, Binghamton, Buffalo, uh, and Rochester. So whereas, you know, this, these guys or these other guys, this group over here might've just wanted to do Tuesday nights at, uh, at club envy or whatever like that. Our whole thing was, okay, there's, there's a pretty decent hotbed of talent here. We've seen, uh, you know, one of our, our guys go and end up getting picked up by Jermaine Dupree, uh, off of freestyle Friday on uh BT on, on, uh, one Oh six and park. But, you know, it was kind of like a my thing was like an incubator. And of course, you know, we're up in Rochester, New York City, seven hours away. It wasn't like we had, you know, big uh, record label A&Rs and stuff like that. So uh, the goal was to really be that kind of platform. And that's kind of what I was bringing to light. Wish I would have had more time to bring it to that and, and, and really ride it out, you know, with the with the best way possible. But that's pretty much what we were doing. Uh, because we, even when we did, when we just did venues, we didn't just do like the regular teen club nights. We always had somebody there performing and we had, you know, artists that had a pretty decent buzz in the Western New York area. So it was just getting the whole, uh, getting all the schematics together to make their, to make their platform even that much bigger. So that's pretty much in a nutshell what we're doing. Very cool. Very cool. So can you talk a little bit about how after the car accident, um, you, you moved, I believe you said you moved to Atlanta at that point. Um, can you just kind of take us through that time period and, and what you did when you got there and, and kind of how you restarted your, uh, 
your, your business? Oh, yes, definitely. When I I was in uh, vocational school, I was in South Georgia uh, previous to that. And um, I moved down to Florida with one of my aunts. And this was before this is before I, I started the company, just before I went back you know, to upstate New York, because I was living with my aunt in, for a little while. And then I went to vocational school in South Georgia and took up a, a trade as an electrician. After getting shocked a few times, I said, there's no way that I'm going to do this for 40 years. This, this is not going to happen. I mean, the only way I can have been an electrician for 40 years if I was a master, master electrician, owned my own company and had about 10 guys working for me. Uh, but I just didn't want to do that. I did not want to be in that industry. Uh, it was great for me to survive and be able to provide me with seed capital to get Total Control Entertainment started. But um, after the accident, I already pretty much, you know, I used to come up to Atlanta every few weeks because my uh, vocational school was so close, it's only two hours away. And I seen how Atlanta was moving because this was, this was in the early 2000s when I was out there. So I seen how Atlanta was moving and, you know, everything was booming and uh, so many different industries were relocating or strengthening their connections and their uh, and their 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 transit out of Atlanta. This, the city of Atlanta was actually known as Terminus at one point because it was uh, it was a big railroad hub. And there's still it still is to this day. But, it, you know, that's what really made the city uh, integral for trade. And, and then, you know, the fact that I am I'm a black man, you know, there's there's a huge population. Uh, there's a huge uh, population of black entrepreneurs in Atlanta. And um, Forbes, I know Fortune magazine actually uh, noticed, noticed that a few years ago. And Black Enterprise have been talking about that for uh, I was I've been reading Black Enterprise uh, faithfully since 2002. So the every year every year there are ten uh, cities for blacks to live, work, and play. I paid close attention to that list, and Atlanta was always in the top five. Then Atlanta came and just shot past Chicago as far as black business ownership. As far as the, the Chicago at one point was had the highest amount of black-owned businesses, and um, so I like warm weather. I don't like cold weather. So when I had my Third chance to get out of get out of upstate New York. I said, okay, I'm gonna do it. I already know how Atlanta works, and I had a nice cushion from my settlement. So I said, okay, and uh, I convinced my mother to move down here. I said, you know, I, I want to get her out the cold, and um, I helped her purchase a home, and she had some money from um, her 401k that she took out, and you know, so I said, okay, I'll help you buy that, and then um, you know just went for it. I took a job at first. I took a job working in a warehouse and um, I was formulating some things and Atlanta's a different market. It's a lot bigger market. Uh, I couldn't just came out here and been a promoter like I was there because it, it, there's, there's so many different promoters running around this, that, and the third, but it's a bigger market to look at. You know, there's the film industry. We have uh, Porsche and Mercedes both have their North American headquarters here. So seeing things on a bigger scale, seeing how many German companies had their headquarters and, and, and things of that nature based here. And um, even a lot of Koreans. And so I just seen, I started seeing a bigger cultural mix and then seeing the strong black owned business community here in Atlanta. I'd never seen a black owned bank before until I got here. And then seeing Korean owned banks like Metro City Bank uh, just started to formulate new ideas. And I started going to Gwinnett, Gwinnett County, because I reside in the suburbs of Atlanta. So I started going to Gwinnett County Chamber of Commerce events, went to one chance event, that was put on by the uh, Gwinnett Chamber of Commerce. Excuse me. But it was in collaboration with the Atlanta Korean Association. So I met the chairman of the Atlanta Korean Association. Uh, can I stay connected with him? And Atlanta is one of those cities where there's a lot of people that are making moves and really doing stuff. But there's a lot. It's just like Los Angeles or New York. because There's just three top media uh, markets. 
everybody's a producer, everybody raps, everybody does this. And, you know, a lot of people lying, a lot of people doing this and third, a lot of people saying they got this kind of business or they got this, they run around here doing this. There's a lot of people that really are doing it, but there's a lot of people that aren't. So you have to, I, I had to weed those people out and really see who was doing what. And then uh, my best friend, yeah, he and I met because we were in a network marketing business. And I'll say this, network marketing, you know, was one of the first things that kind of hit me when I moved to Atlanta because I was searching for something. I had a little bit of capital, you know, I had a decent amount of capital from the accident. And then I, I had an idea what I wanted to, some things I wanted to do. But then, you know, I got I got pulled into network marketing um, and I learned principles from network marketing about how to run a business with low overhead. And so I did that for about a year, year and a half. And I was mainly just consuming the product, to be honest with you. I, you know, I mean, I understood like how the founders of this company got where they're at. I said, okay. And then I went and worked for another company because the company I was working for, I worked for them like two or three years. Then I went and worked for Home Depot. I was working as a supervisor. I got an upgraded position in their distribution center. So between working in the two warehouses, I learned the distribution and how distribution industry works. Then a buddy of mine, uh, another black gentleman, he had a, a, a nutrition store. And I thought that was cool because that's something I've always been into. And I thought it was cool, something somebody that I could relate to. And we had a similar message about uh a lot of the the space that was out there currently in the nutrition world. So we partnered up and uh, I received 3% ownership and we went from there and we just, I mean, it was, it was just, we went from like $147,000 a year in revenue to 400 grand. And, um, you know, we were featured in the Gwinnett magazine two years in a row. We had big plaques up in the shop and everything. So that was cool. My face was in a magazine They interviewed me. Then we were in the uh, Sewanee magazine. Sewanee is another suburb in Gwinnett County. It was, it was another little city in the Gwinnett County suburb. So we were in the Sewanee magazine. And then we always said, hmm, we're selling that because we, we did juices and smoothies and shakes and stuff like that. But we sold to-go items in our cooler. And then we also sold supplements. Most of our volume, about 60% of our volume came from supplements. And uh, we would always say, hmm, all these other people's stuff is great, but we need to come out with our own line. Then by chance, one of our customers used to come in he introduced us to his neighbor. His neighbor was a truck driver, a uh, really knowledgeable guy. He was in school to be a, a trainer. And the three of us linked up and found out that my father was from Boyden, Louisiana. My other partner, Dan, his father was from, uh, was from, uh, Dan's father was from Laplace. And his father's still living, but his father, his father's from Laplace. And then uh, the other partner, he's from New Orleans. So it's like, we, had such similar roots and then come to find out down the line, you know, uh, we're kind of related down the line. But anyway, that's in a whole other story. But uh, we just had a good vibe and a really good synergy. So we decided to start a supplement brand. And then we said, OK, we got to come up with a name. So I said, whatever we do, it has to have something has to be elite. It has to be have to be the top tier. And uh, my other partner said, we got to have alchemy in there because alchemy is the conversion. It's when things go to the next level is when they complete. So. I turned and looked at both of them. I said, how about Elite Alchemy? We looked it up. It wasn't taken. So we registered the name with the state of Georgia, Elite Limitless Alchemy LLC. That was our parent company as our holding company name. I learned a very important lesson. And everybody out there listening, I learned a very important lesson about when you're registering for, registering for a trademark. Because we had an artist do a logo for us. Very great logo. We took the floor de leaves because we all have all three of us had roots to Louisiana. So we took it through Florida leaves and that's how our elite, elite alchemy logo came about. And then we told them what colors we wanted. We wanted red because it was a power of a color of uh, red is a color of uh, of desire and a color of passion. 
Black is a color of power and a color of strength. And then silver, 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 and then the other part in our logo, silver. Silver is a color of elegance. When you think of the blue bloods and stuff like that, you think of silver because they're the first ones to put silver spoons in their children's mouths around the time of the pestilence. That's why people use colloidal silver to this day for immune system and stuff like that. But anyway, so we had some deep meanings behind it because I always tell anybody when you say, even if it's a holding company, have a meaning behind that holding company name. So anyway, long story short. From uh, from there, we we ran. We you know we got placed in some magazines. We partnered up with uh, the national fighting championship because I have connections. I've been involved with martial arts since I was twelve years old. So we started sponsoring the national fighting championship, which is owned by my good buddy Dave Oblas. Uh, he's a promoter here in Atlanta, and he had uh, boxing matches that used to be used to be on ESPN, uh, televised live from here in Atlanta. So I was always asking him. I said, you know, because we always had our booth and we were selling our products, and we started sponsoring a few fighters. We were always there. We were always a presence at the fight nights. So I asked him, I said, hey, Dave, what's the chances of uh, you guys doing something bigger? We would love to be uh, a bigger sponsor and put our logo possibly in the Florida Octagon. So January, I think it was January 12th, 2015, he calls me. He says, hey, Aubrey, you got your wish. So I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, check out the NFC Facebook page. So I go on the Facebook page. I see that they've partnered with Legacy Fighting Championship, which is the fifth, I mean, the fourth biggest MMA federation at the time in the world. And uh, so they had a fight night scheduled for March 20th here in Atlanta, and it was going to be televised on Access TV. And I'm trying to figure out what's Access TV. So Access TV, the name changed. It used to be called HDTV, and it's owned by Mark Cuban. Well, now it's Mark Cuban and uh, Ryan Seacrest and CBS, uh, CBS Media. So long story short, we brought in another investor, a guy here. Uh, he he worked for he works for Porsche North America. He's an executive for them. So. He already knew what we were doing and, you know, we were uh, advertising in a lot of different platforms. And so we said, hey, man, we need, you know, X amount of capital to shore up this thing so we can sponsor this event, you know, because we could have done it on our own. But it just given us more gap time. So anyway, uh, we went ahead and did it. The event was aired to 90 million people around the world. It was aired here in America and also in Brazil. And we had worked uh my best friend who, who started working for Elite Alchemy, who's now one of my partners in the rebranded company, um, he was in Colombia, the country Colombia, and he set something up in Medellin, Colombia with the pharmacy chain there. And they ended up doing a, a wholesale order and brought our products in, the Elite Alchemy product line in. And um, then also a, a, a lady we know, she's from Brazil. She has a friend that owned a, a small, farm, small pharmacy and gym chain in Corachiba, Brazil. And he ended up bringing our product line in. So before the, the fight night took place, that was internationally televised and it was aired in Brazil. We already had our products in those stores. And I was already reaching out to companies about helping us uh, import and export our stuff in the country with ease and also get an office set up there. So we had we would have a South American headquarters. So um, we went pretty far with that. And that kind of led up to everything else I'm doing now, because I have I went I put myself through broadcasting school in 2008. So uh, I got I gained extensive media connections from that point and then doing the legacy thing just took us to the next level. So it's like everything I came to, everything I envisioned in the plan that I made when I came to Atlanta, it it grew beyond my wildest dreams. And then I got into a car accident uh, of June of that year and it set me down for a while. But um, during that time, even on my crutches and on all the pain medicine they had me on, I was like, well, my body's messed up. But my brain isn't. So that's when I put everything in play for the four companies that I have now. Blue Dream Ministries. Elite Family of Brands, Clamorgan Holdings, and uh, Amory Holdings International LLC, which is the parent company of Amory Media Group. You know, so that's that's pretty much what happened over these past. Uh, well, we started Elite Limitless Alchemy in 2012, 
So up until 2015 of the car accident, that's the time when everything fell apart and uh, but back stronger. And uh, I think that was a silver lining because I learned a lot from that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, I want to talk a little bit about how um, you said that from your mother, you got more of an analytical mindset. Um, how has that played a role in uh, all of your entrepreneurial success so far? Well, yes, from my mother, I got my analytical mindset. Also, uh, my mother has a she has two business degrees and my my mother's mother. She was they were my mother gets it from my from her mother about being a stickler by education. And so then I got that from my mother and. Like my, my grandmother, she wrote a book. She wrote a. She did a. She created a magazine called AIDS Ain't No Joke when when AIDS was coming popular. It was becoming a big epidemic in the in the mid nineties, and uh, so a compilation of that, along with I learned with what I learned from my mother, my grandmother. She was also a songwriter. She ghost wrote for some pretty big names, and uh, she she. I think my grandmother went on to copyright over twenty songs. So what I learned from all of that was. Intellectual property, make sure you own the content, and then documentation. Uh, no matter what you're doing, what, you, what you're getting into, you want to make sure that you have the proper uh, registrations. You want to make sure you have the proper um, permits. You want to make sure your business is structured in the proper way. Uh, and you know, just seeing my mother put together business plans and stuff like that, that's where I got the whole analytical side from because I'm like, oh, okay, this is what corporate veil protection does. It, you know, it protects you. The company from being sued because of you for this, that, or the third. If somebody has an issue with you, we live in a very litigious society nowadays, especially with social media and, and things of that nature. You have the whole uh, wave of celebrity entrepreneurs, such as Gary Vaynerchuk and Mark Cuban and Damon John. These guys are celebrity. They don't play basketball or sing or rap or anything. They're known for being entrepreneurs that took their game to a, the top level, and people respect them and follow them, and they do tours based off that. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty much where. I got all that from just, you know, my mother's always been a stickler on education. So was my grandmother. And um, just understanding what paperwork it took, took to push this through and get this done and getting things done in the correct way. Because one of the worst things is when you don't have your paperwork together. And just like I was saying with, uh, with Elite Alchemy, I learned a lesson. I had to spend the money twice to trademark the Elite Alchemy name because I originally had the artist do the logo with the name Elite Limitless Alchemy LLC. So when I submitted it to the, the law firm that's doing the trademark, they're like, oh, well, you said this was going to be a lead alchemy, but now it's a lead limits alchemy LLC. I'm like, well, can I just change it? They're like, no, no, no. you, you got to do a whole other application. So, <laughs> you know, all my analytical stuff was, was on point, but that was my first time ever dealing with trademarks. But since then, I've gotten so good to the point where I know how I can basically trademark my own stuff without a lawyer. Some patents for, my, for this product I'm launching called the Vay Funnel through my Blue Dream Industries company, um, I started doing the patent information by myself. But uh, a few years ago, I was still dealing. Now, if you're creating something very complex, still go through a lawyer. Definitely. But, you know, depending on what it is, you can do the filings yourself. Sarah Blakely, the founder of Spanx, I know her through one of the guys that's on the board of directors for Elite Alchemy, I mean, for Blue Dream Industries. Um, she did all her own patent filings. But in a nutshell, that's pretty much where I got all that from. My mother was always like on me about schoolwork and having all my documentation right and having all my ducks in a row, having, having, having everything in line. And I thank her for that immensely because it's like as a businessman nowadays, it's like I was just, you know, one of my biggest things I tell anybody is when when you look at the, the, the word executive, so many people 
get it misconstrued. I was talking to a, an, ex, an executive from a movie studio the other day, and we're emailing. Then we had a 30 minute gap in the email. So I get on the phone, I'll call him, and I'm like, well, all you do is just send a few words back. What's going on? And he's giving me all these excuses. Basically, I'm saying all to say this the root word of the word executive is to execute. So if you're going to be an executive, you want to be the CEO, you want to be COO, or whatever it is, you know, executive chairman. If you want to, you know, wear the big boy or big girl shoes, you have to be willing and able to execute in the business world. That's one of the biggest things. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, I want to talk a little bit about what you said you learned from your father, which was to uh, shelter your assets. So can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, how to shelter assets and, and give some actionable tips on, you know, why people should shelter assets and, and how to actually do it? Sure. Um, sheltering your assets, and I don't mean like, you know, just completely tax evasion, not paying taxes. I don't mean, no, please don't do that. For your own good, please don't do that. Uh, what I mean is like my father, he, when he inherited the, the land and the oil wells in Capital, Louisiana, right? He, I got a hold of all the oil and gas leases last year because my siblings and I, we had to see what was going, what was what and everything. Now, my first name is Aubrey, but I have Creole roots. So I have a very long name. I have a hyphenated last name. I have three middle names. It's common. Like my father had two middle names. Um, so one of my middle names is Ainry. That's why I started my company, Ainry Holdings. Through. And one of my other middle names is Bill. My father's name, first name was William. So my last name happens to be Holland. So is my father's. I have another brother named Cameron, but his middle name is Cameron. His first name is William. His last name is Holland. So William Holland. My father was William Holland. My middle, one of my middle names is Bill. So Bill and William are the same thing. My father's father's name was also William Holland. So I'm finding on oil and gas leases that when they're asking for the tax ID number, it was either my social on there, my grandfather's social or my brother Cameron's social because all, all of us had the interpolation of the name Bill or William Holland. So my father got along. He got away with that. You know, my father, he pretty much it never looked like he personally had income coming in. Um, you know, he would, you know, just pretty much just live on a whim because he had the oil and gas royalties coming in. But it was being paid out under my name, mainly my brother Cameron or my grandfather. And um, my father had uh, different accounts set up. And me, <laughs> I have. And me, I have a sister. I have a, two other brothers. So in um, my siblings' names, he had accounts set up in our names where he would put money in. Like I just found an account last year that had some. It was a custodial account he set up in 1993 that you know I finally I got some of the money out of. But anyway, I learned how to do it in a more corporate way with, with actual documents. Like you know, uh, instead of putting a social on there, and third, a tax ID number is actually on all my documentation. Uh, corporate veil protection. Uh, There's a company I like called Laughlin Associates. They do corporate veil protection and they also report to the business credit bureaus. Uh, that's a great thing because you can start building and, and not having stuff in your own name. I'm coming out with a book called Buy My Bootstraps and one of the chapters is don't put it in your own name, you know, and uh, just want to really push that to people because it's like, you know, people really don't, 90% of entrepreneurs really are people interested in, in the field don't or don't understand the the premise of getting things out of your own personal name but through corporate veil protection and also the way you even also the way you word your documents uh like say for instance if you're setting up 
uh, a corporate phone plan, say with T-Mobile or say with uh, AT&T, you always want to word the document like you're uh, you're an uh, officer of the company, even if you're an owner, because you want to you want to cut your liability. Uh, personal liability is one of the, the, the biggest issues um, that a lot of entrepreneurs that they experience people suing them for stuff and it trickles to their company. You don't want it to happen. So definitely make sure you have corporate veil protection, also known as business anonymity. But uh, Laughlin and Associates, those those uh, those guys, they'll take care of you. Um, and, you know, you can do a payment plan that, you know, you do the payment plan. They report it to DMV. They report it to Equifax Experian and, and all of that. Uh, then from there, one other thing you can do, depending on who you are and what you have going on, you know, you have some people that are like uh, like regional celebrities in their city or they might have an air celebrity. You might be an attorney or something like that. Or you might be the uh, the 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 local guy that has a landscaping company and your company's pretty popular or whatever it is. But you want to be. Uh, protected all the way. You want to have, um, there's another, you can get personal effects insurance. And I know with Chubb, you can get policies up to like $50 million. But I mean, unless you're like on a reality TV show or, you know, you're like somebody like Donald Trump, somebody who's a business person that has high, high notoriety, I probably wouldn't go for the 50 million. But that's just a thing to protect you on a personal level if somebody tries to come at you for stuff. And, um, you know, don't be afraid to put stuff in your company's name. A lot of people are so used to you know, they have a car and all this stuff in, 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 in their own name and their house. And you can get a lot of you can rent a lot of apartments. You can do corporate rentals. You can do a lot of um, car leases and stuff in a corporation's name. Uh, I mean, down to when you get your groceries, you can get your stuff, you know, get get a Costco business account and pretty much buy your groceries and write it off through that way. You can get and you, then you get your stuff bulk at the best price anyway. So uh, things like that is, is really how you get it done. Corporate bail protection. Uh, making sure you fill your documents out the right way and 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 never be a guarantor. I mean, we, we have too many resources nowadays where you can pretty much everything in your own corporation's name. But I basically learned a way how to do it in a very in a more structured corporate way than my father did. Because a lot of people are trying to do this and put stuff in their kids names. And it's cool if you still want to do that and just set them up for the future. But make sure you have a trust set up as well. Um, Nevada trusts, Cook Island trusts and Nevis trusts. Are three of the most secure. That's a good way to, to protect you from getting sued, protect you from a lawsuit in general. I set up a trust last year and it's here in the state of Georgia, but I'm going to be moving my stuff to Nevada this year just for added asset protection. So that's pretty much, I mean, there's some other things you can do, but those are pretty much the core things. Having a trust uh, in your personal name, because like for me, I have four corporations. So all my corporations, everything is corporations and everything are in my trust. But then you can also set up trusts in your business name. Like last year, um, Mondelez International tried a $23 billion uh, hostile takeover of Nestle and Nestle, the Nestle Trust owned 20% of Nestle and the Nestle Trust was like, oh, no, no, no. They pulled up the Kim Mamba Tumble and said, oh, no, 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 no. You're not taking anything over here. And then the deal fell apart. But when you have a trust, especially if you have anybody out there who's looking to get into real estate, like property management, having your own brokerage and stuff like that, if you're actually going to own property and the property still has a note on it, make sure you have a trust because the trust will protect that that property to a degree, you know, you want to have a safe, like whatever your company, your company is uh, Brookshire property management or whatever, make sure you have a Brookshire property management trust set up. And I mean, you can get these trusts set up for a little or nothing, depending on what law firm you go. Very cool, man. Very cool. So, you know, we talked a little bit about your past. Uh, I want to talk about what your biggest focus is right now. My biggest focus right now is, Helping entrepreneurs via my Andrew Media Group, 
company. And, uh, you know, we do valuations. We do uh, we basically have the pipeline. We can help you set your company up properly. And we just signed an agreement the other day with Tipper Creek Investments out of Los Angeles. They're a company that can take you public either on NASDAQ or they can take you public on uh, on the over the counter pink sheets. Uh, so basically, we have the pipeline where we can help you. We can assist in structuring everything from inception of the business all the way up to help you go on public. You know, we have a partnership with uh, Able Lending. We have a partnership with NAV um, to help you accurately set all your stuff up for your business credit. So we can assist in that, helping you get your business credit straight and everything. And um, and Blue Dream Industries. So the, the cannabis industry, um, I'm 33 now. Been a lover of cannabis since I was about 14, 15. Um, and we're leading into the industry more on an ancillary base. So really looking to really mine that. Through Blue Drew Industries, we have the rights. We own the rights to 19 different brands. We're, we're leading with our vape funnel. Um, and we just got our thing back the other day, our issue, our notice of uh, issue of allowance. Because it's with applying for a trademark, it's a marathon. It's an eight-month marathon. And your victory lap is when they send that 30-day uh, no, um, the thing where they sit it out there, if anywhere, the notice of opposition. And if nobody opposes your trademark within 30 days, you go ahead and prove um, uh, use. You know, either show them like a website where you're selling products, or you're doing, or you're, uh, or you're uh, marketing your services, or whatever. Or it could be something as simple as a Facebook page for your brand. So uh, that right now, those those are my two biggest things. And and you know, I'm heavily involved in uh, sports and entertainment management through my uh, my Richard Simone Sports Entertainment Management, which is a division of Morgan Morgan Holdings LLC. But uh, my two biggest things right now are definitely guiding entrepreneurs where they need to be through Angry Media Group, and also uh, my push through Blue Dream Industries. Now, I've, I've been looking at a few things now about getting on um, on a few board of directors for a few startups and uh, a few you know mid-sized companies that have been around for a while. So being a board board member is uh something that I'm I'm definitely definitely loving. Uh there's a incubator that some friends of mine up in Pueblo, Colorado, they're putting together for the cannabis industry right now. So I'm coming on as a board member and um, you know, because of what I have going on with Amory Holdings, we'll be in house showing the entrepreneurs how to, you know, credit, how to get their credit, how to get their business credit right. Um, you know, how to fix any discrepancies in their paperwork, uh, how to get an accurate valuation on their business. So that way you're not giving you know, 50% of your company up for like 40 grand or something like that. Or or on the flip side, you're not asking some VC or some angel for $10 million for a company that, you know, is only worth 100 grand, you know, because that's one of the biggest things, you know, being able to step to the business world in it, the, the right way, being able to put your face and your name and your brand out there the right way. Because one of the biggest things, like Coca-Cola, their brand, just their brand alone is worth $80 billion. Coca-Cola has uh, 20 brands that generate at least a billion dollars a year or more. Not saying that, you know, every, somebody might, you know, people out there listening, you might just want to, you know, have a cool, you know, ice cream shop in your neighborhood, but you want to go about it the right way. Your ambition might not be to have a multi-billion dollar uh, global business, you know, but say if you just want to be, you know, the, the person in the, the person who's known in Greensville, South Carolina or wherever you're at. For uh, for this, that, and the third, you want to go in for making sure that your paperwork is right and everything is set right. So, and then also philanthropy. Uh, I've given money to the Buford Georgia Library out here in Gwinnett County, and uh, it's a great feeling to be able to do that. I like the, the the books that they had there. They had uh, 
a lot of books you couldn't find in, in most libraries and just their service and everything was so great that I said, you know, I'm going to get behind this. Oh, I've been a big reader. Um, and my mother and my grandmother, they instilled that in me. They were, you know, they're educators. My mother used to be a substitute teacher. My mother was a nurse. I've seen my mother have a lot of, uh, a lot of trades over the years in interior decorating and stuff like that. And, uh, just, just being able to see her transition and have all her documents in a row. And, I think that's very and very important, and I and I stress that that you always want to have your things together. You, you, it's it's a it's a common you know the, the phrase that well the quote um, be ready so you don't have to get ready. That's that's that sounds true. That that rings true throughout the business world. I will always tell anybody this: have all that stuff in line. But um, definitely uh, setting up my own five hundred one c threes. We're setting one up right now through Blue Dream Ministries, the Blue Dream Cares Foundation. And uh, also Injury Group Network is another one. When Once I experienced certain things law-wise, because this accident I got into in 2015 was way worse than the one in 2004. And I noticed like things like in the state of California, they have like one of the lowest um, car insurance, minimum car insurance policies. And with all the luxury car stuff they have out there, it's like you could really be in a bind if somebody hits you and they don't have proper insurance. So really philanthropy, uh, being a board member, because I really want to help a lot of these companies that are around that have that run on. Because I honestly, when I deal, when I'm doing business with people, it gets on my last nerve when they want me to send this paper. And then I'm like, don't you all know about like DocuSign or like HelloSign or anything like that? You know, so really helping some of these companies that are ran by more seasoned, I'm not going to say older, but people who've been on this planet a little bit longer, who are more seasoned and sometimes can be stuck in their ways, being a board member on some of these big corporations, but also at the same time, being able to be a board member on some of these smaller companies, uh, because a lot of times they lack veteran leadership. Even though I'm only in my 30s, just the things that I've learned in the past, since I was 19, in the past, you know, in the past, you know, how many every years, and then well, really mainly in this past five years and being able to help people that are on the come up and being able to really be in their corner and be in their back and call and uh, really just help them th- take things to the next level. So yeah, right now, man, um, you know, cannabis industry through blue dream and uh, consulting through Amory media group, philanthropy, and also being a board member. That's pretty much uh what I have in the scope right now. And the funny thing is, you know, I was joking with my mother the other day. She put me on punishment for the whole summer when I was about 14. because She found out I was indulging in cannabis. And now I'm one of the forerunners in the industry. We just got some press in Inc. Magazine back in March. So, uh, you know, everything turned out full circle. It turned out cool. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. So, you know, we talked a little bit about what you're doing uh, in the past. We talked about what your biggest focus is. I want to talk a little bit about the future. Uh, specifically, I want to talk about legacy, right? What do you want to leave behind as your legacy? What I want to leave behind as my legacy is, uh, like, I don't have any children now. I have a bunch of nieces and nephews. And, uh, you know, I've taught them about bullying. One of my nephews, he's eight years old, and I made an agreement with him last year, and uh, he said, you know, on my side, if, if this turns out right, I want $50. So he comes at me two days later. He said, Uncle Aubrey, you know what? I said, you know what? On a second thought, 
I'd rather get a gram of gold because I showed them, you know, how to look at what gold and silver and platinum and palladium and all this stuff, what it's trading for and about how, uh, you know, we haven't been on a gold standard in America with our currency since 1973. And uh, he flipped it on me and he says, well, so now he's an eight year old with a gram of gold. So, um, you know, and, and, and then I taught him some things about the stock market. Uh, there's a company called Stockpile where you can have custodial accounts for, you know, you can you can send stock to friends and family members and stuff like that for their birthdays, Christmas, or whatever. But you can also set up custodial accounts with minors under 18. So uh, got them a few shares of uh, stock. And uh, you know, he's understanding that. Then uh, my some of my other nephews, I do what I can for them. But see, he's around me. He's you know, there's about 20 minutes from me. So. Then my other, like my nieces and stuff like that. My, one of my nieces, one of my nieces just celebrated her ninth birthday, and we had a family get together in Myrtle Beach. And for her birthday, I gave her two copper, two one-pound copper bars and um, a, and a, and a one ounce of silver, just to get them to understand, you know, precious metals and 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 and, and uh, things like that, and and the, the financial world and how it works. And whenever when I go to do business, I have different offices set up around Atlanta for my numerous ventures. And whenever I'm going to, say, have people meet me at my offices or if I'm going to meet somebody else at their office, I usually at least always bring my nephew with me. Um, when my nieces were here last summer, I brought them with me. So as far as legacy, because there was stuff I didn't even recognize about my legacy till last year, about the legacy that I just inherited um, and the legacy that I'm a part of through since birth. Like I was talking to some of my family members in New Iberia and um, Metairie and some other family members down there in Louisiana last year. And some of them, they weren't they didn't really deal with my father, but they take kindly to me. And I got to come out there. I, I'm, I'm probably going to be in, uh, in in Louisiana next month coming to check on my property. And I'm working on some things because the state of Louisiana, they just uh, last year, they legalized medical marijuana. And uh, there's a whole program where you can grow and they're, they're only going to allow 10 dispensaries throughout the whole state. But, um, you know, got to come out there pretty soon and, and, and talk to some other family members. But the things I learned last year is one of my great uncles, he was an advisor to the king of France in the 1700s. And uh, one of my cousins, I I think she was in she was an advisor to Barack Obama. But I seen like I said, my blood to be an advisor and to just be, you know, uh, the guy that I am, you know. And the thing I want to leave is like I already have it set up in my trust where if I was to pass away right now, I have it set up where, you know, certain family members and certain, you know, really good friends and certain advisors, they will get. They will inherit my percentage of this company, but I have it set up also where my nieces and nephews will take over this company or that company. Um, hopefully I don't pass away you know, anytime soon, you know, but I think I've given them a good, a good amount, amount of guidance as far as the financial world goes. I mean, how many eight-year-olds and nine-year-olds do you know that know the difference between an asset and a liability that understand what gold is trading at right now, um, who understand corporations and documentation because they've sat in conference rooms with me, you know, and um, that's, that's pretty much the legacy that I want to lead uh, just being a, a an advisor and being uh, somebody who was here to go to bat for other people, uh, somebody who who had an element of a teacher in them. Uh, even though I didn't go to college or anything like that, you know, I went to vocational school, got my trade, and then I learned how the business world works. So I said, why would I go? You know, n not knocking my mother's business degrees, you know, uh, but or anybody else's business degrees. But the thing is, you have like Korean so-called immigrants you have because we're all immigrants to this country in my mind but you have Korean immigrants who might not have went past ninth grade but they own the cleaners in your neighborhood you know so I just feel like uh, 
you can get education in one field, but you can get self-education. I think Jim Rohn said this, but and it can take you to a whole nother level you never even imagined. So my whole goal in leaving my legacy is showing people that you don't have to, quote unquote, have a famous last name, even though there are. Uh, I am related to Wynton Marcellus and a few of the jazz musicians and stuff like that. Uh, just just really seeing like the Boutte and the, and the Broussard and all the different lineages that I'm related to. Like my last name is Holland, but being related to all of them and just finding all, all this other stuff. And, you know, uh, like my great great grandfather, when he came to America from Haiti around the time of the um, Louisiana Purchase, he just started purchasing land and he had amassed a thousand acres. And every time somebody in my family would have a child, or we're going to break two acres off and give it to cousin Cicely's son or the senator. And I see actually going through the documentation and finding all that out last year. I'm just like, wow. So I have a big responsibility definitely to not only just in my family, but uh, just in general to the millennials that are out there nowadays, because a lot of them are, they're kind of lacking a lot of fundamentals and uh, you know, just, just people in general that have uh that have a vision for being something bigger than they are now or taking a brand and, and being bigger than they are now. Cause a lot of people don't know where to start. Uh, I figured it out. I figured out how to put the, the ignition, the key in the ignition and drive the car at hundred miles per hour, you know, and uh, do it while switching lanes, so to speak. So I want to be able to, to be that guy who's remembered in history that he showed people that you can go to the big stage with this step and this step. It doesn't have to be this step, this step, this step, this step, and this step. You can go to the big stage. I mean, we were at, we were a two and a half year old business at the time, and we partnered and did the the uh, the deal to sponsor Legacy to Le- Legacy's LFC Forty, and um, you know we end up picking up the heavyweight champ after that event because he fought on that car too, and I was talking to him after he fought. We end up having him sponsor us, so just getting people to understand that you can get to the big stage with applied knowledge, and you can take two or three routes to get there instead of thirty five. So that's pretty much the legacy I want to leave on the world is just continue to, you know, uh, what was the legacy that was left to me being an advisor. Uh, I came into a land being a landowner on, on a whim. I always wanted to get into real estate. So just showing people that it's easier than you think. It's not easy in general, but it's easier than you think. You know, Andy Versella always says, if you do the work, it will happen. And I always tell people, whether it be people I'm doing business with, or even myself, that you got to execute. If you want to be an executive and you want to be respected in this world and you want to leave a stamp, you got to know how to execute. Absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, I want to I want to lighten the mood a little bit. Got some few uh, a few questions for you, kind of rapid fire. So, um, if you could go back to any time period, which time period would you go to and why? In history, you saying like any time time period in history? Yeah. I would go back to. I would, I would probably go back to the Renaissance time. That's cool. Oh yeah, that's cool. Okay, so if you could talk to any one person, either past or present, who would you talk to, and what would you talk about? Hmm. If I could talk to anybody, it would be. King Mansa Musa. King Mansa Musa was a king that was uh, what's now Mali in West Africa. He took over in Mansa Musa. He took over in uh, Mali when his well at the time it was called Timbuktu. He took over when his father died, 
And uh, a lot of the, some of the first universities in the world were built in, in what's now Mali in West Africa. And uh, they had the salt trade worldwide on lock. And also when he when his father died, uh, they had huge stores of gold in in uh, in Mali. And what's not well, it was Timbuktu at the time. But um, that's what made him the richest. If you look, if you Google Masa Musa, he was the richest person that ever lived. And it was because of he had all these store, all the stores of gold, pretty much the empire of, of Mali and Timbuktu was his to preside over and he had all the gold. So I would love to talk to him. Uh, and, and cause this guy, he had an extravagant lifestyle. They would just, he was a Muslim. They would build mosques, like wherever they were at. He went on a famous pilgrimage to Mecca and they spent what's equivalent now to a hundred million dollars in gold in Egypt. And they devalued gold in Egypt and they, and they threw off uh, Egypt's economy. So I think that's really cool. Cause the guy he had, I mean, now we're talking about a, a man that was darker than me, you know, but he had multiple wives. He had slaves, uh, he had all kind of stuff. I mean, the guy just had it made. Uh, what happened is some things he didn't put in place and like two or three generations down the whole empire that he left was just pretty much just pissed away and raped and pillaged and plundered. So I love talking to that guy. Okay. So if you had to be on stage and you had to sing karaoke for 10 million people, what song would you pick? She bangs by uh, William Hung. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I get a kick out of that song, man. <laughs> All right, man. If you could be a, uh, if you could be any animal besides a human, what animal would you be and why? A seahorse. Uh, I'm a Pisces. That's my birth sign. And I love the water. I love uh, aquatic pursuits. And uh, the seahorse, because they, they just look so cool. The seahorse is like, it's unbothered. It just scoots through the water. They're, now, from what I hear, they're, they can be kind of dangerous. But they just scoot through the water. You never really hear about the seahorse getting bothered. They just look so regal floating through the water. I don't even know what they eat. I got to do some more research on that because I had a tank before and I wanted to put a seahorse in there. But I ended up flooding. I had a 55-gallon tank. I put African cichlids, Texas cichlids. I put all kind of... I was just so happy because as a kid, I always told myself when I get in, you know, when I when I have enough, when I have the means to get a tank, uh, I'm going to buy a tank. And, I, you know, I loaded this tank with all these fish and some of my fish were eating my other fish. And, but, yeah, I would definitely be a seahorse, though. <laughs> they just look so cool and majestic. And, and it's like I never see sharks or anything else bother the seahorses. Exactly. Exactly, man. Uh, well, uh, you know, I want to I want to thank you so much for uh, for jumping on the interview today. Uh, you know, it has been, a, I've, I've had a great time. I hope that you have had one as well. Uh, you know, I thank you for, for sharing all the value that you have. I just have one more question for you. Uh, is there anything about yourself that you think is an important part of who you are that I did not ask you about today? In other words, what did I miss? Um, honestly, I think you pretty much covered everything, man. Awesome, man. Well, you know, Aubrey, again, I want to thank you so much for, for coming on the interview. And, uh, you know, to everybody else uh, who's, who's listening, I want to thank you. Y'all are the reason that we do this. And if we can impact you in a positive way, then that is worth it for me. So thank you so much for listening. This has been another Project Egg interview. Today we've been talking to Aubrey Logan from New York. Take care, everybody. Let's build a better world together. Peace, everybody.